Discover 301 or you just signed up for Discover 301, I have something that, I have some homework, some pre-Discover 301 homework that I need you to do. So if you would see me after church so that I can get you something, I've never, it's my first time teaching this class. The last time I taught on gifts, it was an eight-week class, and we're going to we're going to do her in one night tonight, so um, I promise I won't keep you here till midnight, uh, maybe 11.45, but no, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, so uh, if you're just here with us, uh, this is the third week of this series. Uh, week one, we looked at how amazingly powerful and perfect Jesus is. Uh, how when we think about him, when we think about him, when, when you, I don't know if I, I turned to that passage in Revelation and it talked about the thousands of angels just, just glorifying Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And I just thought, wow, what, 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 a, what a place of worship, what a, what a, what a time of worship. And uh, we saw that Jesus was there when the foundations of the universe were set, were formed. Um, he, nothing was created that has been created without Jesus. He has always been and he always will be. Um, and our response to his greatness is worship. Uh, it's worship. Uh, prayer is a part of worship. And, uh, and we saw last week that, that God calls us, he wants us, he commands us to pray without ceasing. That that conversation is something that we, we have the privilege of doing and that we can do. Uh, that can be such a part of our day that it can become as natural as, you know, blinking your eyes or, or even breathing, um, something that you can do uh, intentionally and something that also can become just such a part of your life that that, that is your initial response to something that happens in your life, a trouble, a struggle, a, a good thing. Uh, communicating with our Creator uh, can be that part. And so that's what we talked about uh, last week. Uh, and, and as we thought about that, we thought, okay, the first, uh, first place we are is worship. The second is surrender. We surrender ourselves to him in that prayer without ceasing. And then the third one, we talked about that first Sunday, that first message was obedience. And that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, we're talking about um, responding to God's amazing power and his sovereignty, worship, surrender, and then what? Obedience, right? Um, not just hearing, which we're really good at. We hear lots of things, but doing. And uh, I hope that uh, you can hang with me here today. Uh, Martin Lindstrom, a former market research expert and author of the book Brand Washed, you can imagine what that's about, argues that advertisers know something that human beings have in common with birds and termites. Um, never thought about having things in common with birds and termites, but this is what he says, um, that without even thinking about it, we're often controlled by peer pressure. Okay, for instance, Lindstrom notes how many bird species rise from a field in complete synchrony as though doing a choreographed dance, and it's this response to the first bird. They just do it. That bird leaves, well, I guess we're, low. we're, I guess we're all going. Um, that happens with geese. You know, you hope there's that one goose, right, if you're calling geese in a goose pit that decides it's going to land because then the others will follow it in. Sheep are the same way. We had a barn, and we, we kept uh, uh, bread ewes overnight in this barn in the wintertime, and we had made the loft into a place where we had sheep, and there was this steep um, ramp that we had built into the, into the loft. And if we could just convince one ewe, to go up that ramp, Katie bar the door, you had to jump in the way to stop them when they started flowing upstairs. 
They just did it. They, and that peer pressure. Um, scientists will say that the birds are acting as if they shared one collective brain. Termites also act like one enormous termite brain. In other words, Lindstrom writes, only by observing and mimicking the behavior of its neighbors can a termite figure out what it should be doing. So if you could convince that one termite to leave your house, you would be set, right? Uh, He observes, and he's talking about consumers and advertising, human beings act in much the same way. And I don't think any of us would disagree on this. Just like those birds and termites, we too are wired with a collective consciousness in that we size up those around us, size up what those around us are doing, and we modify our actions and behaviors accordingly. Uh, in In a 2008 experiment conducted by researchers at Leeds University, groups of people were instructed, picture this, groups of people were instructed to walk aimlessly around a large hall without talking to anyone. Uh, But first, the researchers gave just a few people detailed instructions on where precisely they should walk. When the researchers observed the resulting behavior, they found that no matter how large or small the group, everyone in it blindly followed the handful of people who appeared to have some idea of where they were going. 250 people in an auditorium and five have been given instructions. The rest are just supposed to aimlessly walk around and what happens? All 250 people end up following those five. As one researcher put it, the research suggests that humans flock like sheep and birds subconsciously following a minority of individuals and that it takes a mere 5% of informed individuals to influence the direction of a crowd of up to 200 people the other 95% trail along without even being aware of it. Interesting. So wouldn't you want to be one of those five who knows where you're going, not the five, not the other, you know, 200 and, or 195 who don't know where they're going and will end up there, but the five who know where they're going, or the 195 who are following the five who you know They know where they're going, and they're right. It's a good place to go. There is ample research to show that we instinctively look to the... I don't think it's so much instinct as want to, honestly. If I want to behave in a certain way, and I find a group of people that are already behaving that way and will justify my desire to behave that way, what do I do? I go hang out with those people. Or I follow that conversation on the internet. Or I find that group or that website that agrees with what I want to believe and, and then I become a part of that. And I end up following, maybe because of peer pressure, that's part of it, um, but, but part of it is also just a want to. There is ample research to show that we do this, um, that the behaviors of others to inform the decisions we make. Everything from which way we should talk or walk, to what music we listen to, to which kind of car we should drive, it seems in short that we instinctively believe that others know more about what we want than we ourselves do. We just have to be careful. We have to be cautious. Psychologists have a name for this phenomenon. What is it? Hurting is one. The, other, the one that I'm actually looking for is peer pressure. Peer pressure. Um, And this implicit peer pressure, especially when it comes to advertising, and they're really good at it, by the way, right? 
I mean, you, it's, it's almost like you think about buying a new couch, and all of a sudden there's, there's advertisements for couches coming in your Facebook feed, right? Oh, did I say that out loud? Did I say I wanted to buy a couch out loud? Siri, are you listening to me? Right? Um, Alexa, stop paying attention, right? I mean, it seems that way, but they're really good at what they do. Um, and there are many messages out there. So how do we know what message we can trust and what message we can't? How do we know which ones are going to mislead us? And how do we know which ones that, yes, this is, this is the right peer group to be a part of? Um, that this is a case where peer pressure would actually be a good thing, right? You've heard of positive peer pressure. Um, that is something that is really good for us. I mean, and it's a daily challenge, isn't it? Um, there are so many things out there wanting to influence us. What we believe, what we think, spiritually, religiously, politically, personally, socially, financially, emotionally. Uh, I, I think we, are, we live in a day and age where we are influenced the most by the outside world than we ever have been before. And some of that is personal decisions on our, on our part to open ourselves up to being exposed to those things. And some of it is just stepping out the door on a Sunday morning and driving down the highway and seeing billboards or whatever. Um, so <clears throat> I want to uh, talk this morning about a message that we can always trust. Without a doubt, 100%, it's perfect and we can trust it completely, and it's God's message to us. It's God's message to us. It's the word of God right here. We don't have to ever question whether this is right, whether this is true. It's the word of God, the Bible, and, and a truth that we can take to the bank is this, that God's word is always trustworthy, period. Um, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's after Paul's letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians. It's after 1 Thessalonians, which I struggled to find last week. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's... Talk about that a little bit. All scripture is God breathed. It was given to the prophets. It was given to the apostles for them to record, for them to write down. Uh, the prophets, he spoke to them through dreams. Uh, some of them, uh, Moses, he spoke with through a burning bush, face to face in some ways.
The Holy Spirit oversaw what these writers are writing and it had to because in such a way that when, when the canon of Scripture was put together, there isn't anything in here. You know, all of these books written over several thousand years by different authors, yet not contradicting each other, yet having a consistent flow from beginning to end of God's creation, part of salvation and conclusion of humanity. No other book on the planet is that way. All scripture is God-breathed. Paul says to Timothy then, he says, what, what's it useful for? What is this scripture that we have here useful for? Paul says to Timothy, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, as well as gaining wisdom and salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's useful for teaching. There's things that we learn from reading it. About what? About our history, about, about Jesus Christ, how he came to save us, how we can live our life on a daily basis, how to make certain decisions, what priorities we should have in our life for teaching us those things. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, it's useful for rebuking. Now, none of us like that part of it, but there are times just like when our children make mistakes and mess up and are selfish and, and are disrespectful, there are times when we as adults are exactly the same way. We need to be rebuked. We need to be corrected. Training in righteousness. Many times Jesus said, look, here's, here's how you should live. Here's how you can live. And, and then he experienced the joy and peace that comes from living that way as well as gaining wisdom and salvation, eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture explains how that happens. So the decision that we have to make, the surrender to Jesus Christ, what, what he did in order to reconcile us to him. Uh, scripture has a purpose. Look at the end of Timothy there. So that the servant of God, verse 17, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that we could have an understanding of the tools that are available, of, uh, available to us so that when we have an opportunity to do good, that we not only know that we should, but that we know how and what to do. That's found in Scripture. And then in verse 14, Paul says that we are to learn it and become convinced of it. Isn't that part of the battle with you and, and I? We, we read a passage like Jesus saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, yes, I just, I just learned that. I know that. I know it's true, but when I go to live my life and I get lonely or I struggle with something and I think, well, where are you, God? You've kind of left me high and dry. Then I have to go through this process of where I become convinced that that's the way it is. That though I may not feel this way, it is this way. I'm convinced of it because Jesus said it's this way. A lot of our learning and doing is, is that, isn't it? It's being convinced. And then Paul also mentions in that passage right there, he says, uh, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know that what you learned was truth because it was a trusted source. We need to remember that every day personally. We, 
it's up to, uh, it's up to you and me to, to uh, hear those messages that are out there and compare them to what God's word says and say, is that right or is that, is that wrong? Um, and our selfish self will fight us on that because we want things. We want to believe a certain thing is true. Well, what does God, God's word say about that? We need, to, we need to go there. I mean, this, our Bibles are our source for what we need to know. God has given us all that we need to know to live this life in the one after with peace and joy and all of those things that he promises. It is our go-to. Now, as pastors, we were at Valley Christian School this last Wednesday. I love going to Valley Christian School for, uh, for chapel. We have a great time. Uh, we have fun with the teachers and the kids. And, uh, but before they start chapel, every week they do the pledges. You know, they do pledge, the, the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, to the United States of America, right? Then they do uh, the Pledge to the Christian flag. And then they do the Pledge to the Bible. And in some ways, you might think, oh, really? Pledge? That, that just seems sort of, you know, is that okay? And, and I actually kind of wrestled with that a little bit as I thought about using this as an illustration. Well, simply said, simply put, um, Allegiance means loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or of an individual. When, so when we pledge our allegiance, when we're saying this on, on, at chapel to the Bible, it's, it's simply saying, I'm going to be committed to allowing this, the, the word of God, to oversee my life. And these kids do this before every chapel, and it goes like this, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart so that I might not sin against God. Straight from scripture. That's it. It's good to hear those words, isn't it? Maybe we should all say the pledge every morning when we get up in the morning. You know what? Because why? Not, not because it's this that we worship, and there are religions that worship their holy book, it's because of the Savior in whom it speaks of. It's Jesus Christ is who we worship, and the Bible is the avenue that we have to learn more about him. And that is something that we must do. We need to trust it for, for, for the reasons given to Timothy by Paul. I mean, that sums it up for me. I am convinced. I need no further convincing I mean, is there anything else needed in my life to live as God would have me to live in understanding what the king's agenda is for my life? It's right here. God's word is always trustworthy. So next we need to get it into our head and our life. The next thing we need to get into our head and our life, as, as we think about this, we need to remember that. Number two, knowledge of God's word is sweet. Knowledge of God's word is sweet. Have you ever had one of those meals? You might even remember what it was, where you sat down and you began eating it and you just went, wow, this is good. This is so good. You know, maybe it was a new dish. Uh, maybe, you know, you, it was, it, it, you, you can think back to a, a grandmother or a mother or a spouse making this meal and you found yourself savoring every bite you know, it wasn't one of those scarf because you only got 30 minutes for lunch kind of meals. It was one 
where you took a bite and you went, oh, this is so good. And, and you just enjoyed it for a period of time and then you took another bite and you maybe even said it out loud again, oh, this is so good. This is really good. Have you ever had a meal like that? I mean, who wants to have another meal like that? Well, of course we do, right? Um, that's what God's word is like. Knowledge of God's word is so sweet. Um, in fact, in Psalm 119, which I wish we could just read the whole thing, I encourage you to. It's a great psalm, though it's a long one. Um, up here on the screen, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, the psalmist says. I savor your precepts and your statutes and your laws and your word. I mean, this has a great, to, a great deal to do with the attitude of which we approach the Bible. I realize there are those times when we approach and it's like, I've committed to do this, I'm going to read this for 15 minutes every day, and this morning I don't really feel like I want to, but I'm going to do it. Sometimes our attitude to, uh, to the Bible is kind of like this little boy in this video. Um, his mother says, he's been whining to taste this forever and ever and ever, and I've told him it's not good, but finally I'm giving in. Here, go ahead, knock yourself out. Wait a minute, is this chocolate? What, uh... <coughs> Oh, oh, how brutal, right? <laughs> has that ever been your response to reading God's word? I would suggest that it probably has been. That there's been times when you read it and you just went, ugh, this is really not as good as I thought it was going to be. But I think some of that is what our attitude is going into it. Where are we? Why are we reading it? To check a mark off a list? Or are we thinking of it as sweet as honey, no matter what it is and no matter what it says and no, no matter what God asks of me through it? It's sweet. It is sweet. Now, again, there certainly are those times the rebuking and the correcting, where it's like, ugh, this, yuck. I don't like what I'm reading. But we have to remember that it's, though we don't like it, it's good for us. It's good. No matter what, it is. It's good. Uh, we want to listen to our own thing. We want to listen to other messages, pressures from our peers, as we said, but God has got to be above all of our peers. He has to be number one. And it is for our good. It is for our peace. It is for our ultimate joy and contentment. Just look at someone who is living disobediently. Or yourself. How does that feel? Are you miserable? Well, that's what God's word says you will be. Because we're going against our creator. Um, look at the beginning of Psalm 119. I, I'm going to put this one up here on the screen as well. 
the psalmist hits the nail on the head. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You, O God, have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sounds a lot like that pledge to the Bible, doesn't it? Which is his word, his commands, his promises. Larry Burkett once told the story about a kindergarten that sat right on the corner of a busy highway. Um, Cars going by all the time. And although the school had a nice yard where the children could play, at recess, the children would like huddle next to the building or they would kind of stay in the middle of the entire property. But one day they decided that they should put up a fence, a barrier. And so they put up a fence along the sidewalk on the outside of this busy corner to confine the kids inside the playground. And you know what they found? That the kids no longer huddled sort of in the middle of the property, that they ran all the way to the fence and then began to use the entire playground. Why? Because boundaries are good. Boundaries are necessary. I mean, we live in the state of Wyoming for crying out loud, right? We know that fences are a good thing. They're not just to keep stuff out. They're to, to protect things that are inside. That's what God, God's word is to us. I mean, we are all children, right? We all need boundaries. Um, God's word is, it's good to know. We are to read it or to hear it. It is super helpful to listen to pastors talk about it. Pastors that we know that we can trust or who are doing their best to understand it and are willing to say, never saw that before. Let's talk about this together and see if maybe we need to understand it differently. We can completely trust it. It is perfect. God's precepts and boundaries and statutes are truly sweet. It's the word of God. We have it in our hands. What a privilege. What a sweet thing. And then number three this morning, we must not stop at hearing. You know, as your pastor, I am still learning this. To not stop at just hearing. I mean, we're all, we're all notorious to this, right? We, you, if you're a teacher, if you're anybody that goes to any sort of conference for your job, how many training books do you have on your shelf at home? Right? You get this great training, and then, you know, after a week, if it even takes that long, it ends up on the shelf, and maybe, maybe one or two of those things might become a part of what you do, but generally speaking, we move on to the next thing. There's... there's too many fires to put out in order to focus on this. That was one thing that I just despised about seminary. Could I just take one class a year and just let this ruminate and think about this? I mean, that's 
And, and that actually is one thing that I dislike about sermons on Sunday mornings is because we condition you for this, right? Here's three points on Sunday morning, and, and maybe if you've thought about them during the week, um, you, it takes 40 days to make something a habit and a part of your life. So we give you five, six, and then Sunday we hit you with another one, right? So we kind of con- condition our... But, but honestly, who would go to a church where the pastor preached the same, the same sermon four Sundays in a row? I, don't think, I think you would probably start complaining, right? Uh, the other thought about that is who remembers what they had for, unless it was one of those meals, who remembers what you had for lunch uh, on November 17th? I see that hand. What was it? I actually don't remember... It was what? Cheetos. Your parents feed you Cheetos for lunch? Oh, grilled cheese. Do you eat that for lunch every day? So that's just... <laughs> but here's the thing. Even if, you, even if you don't remember and you just lied to your pastor in front of a bunch of witnesses, um, you still needed that meal. You needed that nourishment. Your body needed it. And we need... God's word every day, we need to hear it preached on, taught on every day, even if we don't necessarily remember what that was, it was important in our growth. And uh, so I don't want to overdo the thing that, uh, that we do something new every week, but in some ways we do, and that can feed into that. We need to guard against that. Um, the important thing is that we continue to struggle and wrestle with God's word on a daily basis. Um, the important thing is that after we hear and we don't do what we heard and we realize that we didn't do what we heard, we repent of that decision and we grow from it. But when we live our life in opposition to God and his word on a daily basis and we get comfortable with it and we don't care, that's when there's trouble. That's when we become a hearer and not a doer. That's what James was teaching against. Um, if uh, actually, yeah, let's 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 turn there. Uh, turn to the book of James, if you would. James chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-five. And, and if you're here and you didn't bring a Bible, there's one underneath. Hopefully, one underneath a seat in front of you. Um, James one, twenty-two through twenty-five. And you may have this memorized. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, James says. Don't just think that going to church every Sunday and hearing it is where it stops. Anyone, James says, who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Who really does that? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Don't just be hearers, but be doers. Sometimes that is so hard. I mean, ask your children, right? Because they did the same thing. 
You know, if you yell, tell your, if you tell your kid to take out the trash and you see them and you say, what did I say? And they say, you said, take out the trash. And then they don't. There's no doubt that they heard you, but that didn't transfer into any sort of behavior or action. And that's frustrating as a parent, isn't it? You heard me. So um, early on in my marriage, we, my, my wife and I had a conversation about a word. That word was obey. It was a big word in my family. It was a big word in my sister's family. You remember this, right? Um, and I one day told my, I don't remember who it was. It was probably Cassandra because it was early on. I said, you need to obey me. And Sarah was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not using that word, obey. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with the word obey? It's old-fashioned. Okay, so what, what should I use? And I think the word that we decided on was, you need to listen to me. Now, as I think about that, that's being a hearer, right? It doesn't matter if they listen to me. It doesn't matter if they hear what I said, unless they obey. I've lost. I failed as a parent. No. Um, but that's kind of what it is. I listen. I'm listening to God. Okay, that's great. We need to. What next? Is it just, is it just training books on a shelf? Yep, heard it. Or, or is it going to be an, become an active part of my daily life? And, and I think, I wonder if James didn't get these, these words that he, he uh, is writing in his book here from, from Jesus, the very words of Jesus. Um, in Luke chapter 11, 14 through 28, Jesus is uh, in a situation where he's casting out demons. And a couple people are in opposition to this. And one says, he's casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. And Jesus is like, um, no. Uh, he goes on to explain it. In fact, his first words are um, in verse 20 of Luke chapter 11. Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is not the work of Satan, casting out his own people. Jesus says, a house divided will never stand. It, it's illogical what you're saying. No, Satan wouldn't drive out his own demon. That doesn't work. And he goes on and he explains some more. And then there's this woman. It says, a woman in the crowd, verse 27 and 28. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So in some ways it's interesting that it's just a woman in the crowd called out, okay? Which is another reason why scripture, I believe, is God-breathed and not man-made because a man, a writer, an author in this day and age would not have given a woman credit for being a part of the conversation. Wouldn't have happened. She did. She called out and Jesus replied. I mean, this is a fascinating statement to me. She clearly recognized something from Jesus that was amazing. And she said, wow. And, and she says, blessings on your mother. And he points, he points the woman and the surrounding crowd and us to the real action that will receive blessing. And that's to not just hear what I'm saying, but to obey it.
They will receive blessing. Those who hear the commands of God and obey them. And as we continue practicing, praying the word of God to understand and become up uh, and understand what the king's agenda is for our life, praying through God's word helps us to surrender to it and for it to become a part of our I, I would bet to the person if I asked you if you have been doing this and you've been praying the scripture in the morning that that it didn't come to your mind several times during the day and that it didn't I would be surprised if you told me that it didn't influence any of the decisions that you made that day that you didn't think about it again that you didn't catch yourself sitting in a doctor's office praying or conversing with God or driving down the road this weekend turning off the radio and saying hey God what are you up to? What's going on? I'm, I'm ready to listen. Now, I have just a side note about that passage, a comment. Um, I want to point out that if Jesus wanted Mary to be worshipped and held high in the future, that would have been a perfect opportunity to say it. He would have said, yes, she is to be blessed, and she should be. Now, Jesus loved his mother, but she was not God and should not be worshipped as such. Uh, Maybe this statement of King Jesus, again, inspired James to write what he did. That we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves, thinking, believing that if I just, again, if I just go to church, that's enough. If I go faithfully, If I just hear it, Jesus says, I can't stop there. There are decisions to be made. There is obedience to be done. And if you think about it, and this is true in our own lives, not, not even looking at somebody else's life, but if you think about your own in those times where you have failed, you you were selfish, you you chose poorly. You, disgraced your family by a decision that you made and then tried to cover it up and, and wanted to continue to live in that decision, the, the struggle that occurs in that, the weight of God that sits on our shoulders when we live that way. But when we finally come to the point where we're, we're willing to surrender that and say, you know what, God, I've screwed up. We repent of it. We ask, we seek his forgiveness. We experience. If you confess your sin to the Lord, he is faithful and just and he will forgive you and purify you of what? All unrighteousness. It's another promise that he makes. And sort of the, it's like that moment in time when you fess up to something to your parents, though you know that there might be consequences. Your attempt to cover it up and hide it is over. It's like this deep breath and there can be peace again. It's that way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, So, I would encourage you to continue to 
pray through the 21 days of focused prayer. If, if this is your first time and you're like, well, what is this 21 days? The worship team can come up. Um, there is a booklet that's available on Amazon. You can buy it for like $3, a hard copy, they'll, they'll send it to you. Or you can just, if you read anything on a Kindle or a tablet, um, you can get it for 99 cents. Um, it's called Praying the King's Agenda by Dana Olson. Uh, and, uh, and you can begin praying. You're not, again, if you're just here today, we're getting ready to start it over again. So you're just kind of getting in uh, when we're beginning. Uh, and in this 21 days, we are responding to the commands of our master by talking to the Father about them. Uh, it, including in our prayer is our willingness to submit ourselves to what he instructs, to align ourselves to those commands. Anything less is hypocrisy and disobedience. It's saying, I hear what you're saying, Lord, but don't expect me to do, any, do anything about it because I just want to live my life the way I want to. Um, but Jesus calls us to the blessed life, the happy life of kingdom living, aligning ourselves with the king's agenda. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word and how sweet it is. Help us, Father, to, to approach it in that way, to see it not as some book of law that, that must be followed to the T, but God, a, a guide to living a life of joy and peace and salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, help me to not just be a hearer or a speaker, but a doer. One who, even in difficult times, will be willing to give up my selfish desires to what I clearly see your word commanding or calling me to. Father, thank you for this church, and, and God, I pray that, that, that you would just help us to, to continue to journey life together as imperfect people, seeking to love you with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So many different needs here in this room, in our community. Lots of grief. Father, I pray for families that even just this week are experiencing grief for the first time. For those who are continuing to experience grief from a month ago or six months ago or a year ago. Father, for the family in Fort Laramie that lost their house yesterday, I pray that, that you would just provide for them, maybe have an opportunity for someone in our own church to, to love them and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to them. Thank you for your word, for how good it is. And now, Father, as we give of our tithes and our offerings and as we worship you with these last couple songs and we end with a prayer at the end, may you hear us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. It's time to have the ushers uh, come for the morning offering. 
trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Isn't that just true? Amen. Let's say that. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. What we do. 